0: Are you passionate about making a difference through design? Join us at the Human Centered Design Network's Circle, a new private community for change makers just like you. Connect with like-minded professionals, gain exclusive rights to monthly learning opportunities, and lead the change in human centered design. For more information, see this is hcd.com. Now, let's get back into that episode. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So, Welcome to the Doing Design podcast on This Is Hate CD, hosted by all the world's best live design and innovation trainers at thisisdoing.com. Now, my name is Jerry Scullion, I'm the co-founder and the CEO of This Is Doing, and I'm also the founder of This Is Hate CD. Now for regular listeners, you'll know what we do at thisisdoing.com, home of many of the world's best trainers in the spaces of design research, service design, user experience and more. Now, on February the 11th, 2022, we launch our third Doing Design Festival. I'm so excited about it. And in the lead up to the event, we will share conversations with the trainers who will be speaking at the event. We'll hear more about the topic that they'll get deeper into at the festival and how it relates to the theme of Better Together. Let's jump straight into this episode.
2: So this year's topic is Better Together. And we chose that based off a lot of the stuff that had been happening. The last few years um, the greater focus around everything from mental health to being human centered to companies becoming more everyone becoming a design company pretty much to some degree so your topic trauma informed design how do, how does that connect to better together what what are the linkages what's the um you know what what's what's that look like when we kind of reframe around the lens of better together
1: mm. I think one of the one of the first things that really comes to mind is thinking about how we can work on trauma informed and trauma responsive practices and design not just individually which is important but also doing those in community with other people. And so when I hear when I when I first heard about the theme and when I think about the theme better together um it it feels incredibly natural and fitting that one of the things that we'll get to talk about and others will get to learn about is how to be trauma-informed and how we do design and design research. So, um, yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I guess for those unfamiliar, <laughs> I actually had never heard of trauma-informed design at all and still know very little. And So, what does trauma-informed design mean?
1: Yeah. Well, it it means a few different things. Um one thing that I'll that I'll share and maybe to to share and to start with is that um trauma informed design really has as a as a practice has a lot of roots in architecture and in the built environment. Um that's where I first saw and really came to to understand this integration of trauma-informed care principles in some type of a creative discipline. So, you know, in that case and in that context, it was in architecture. The way that it has been talked about and integrated, applied, adapted, if you will, in, I'd say, human-centered design, design research, um, design thinking, has been really the same kind of premise. Like, how can we take these... Trauma-informed care principles that um, that the U.S. has, but the U.S. isn't the only country that has these these care principles. And how can we take those and apply them to any and all aspects of what we're doing within design and design research? So one of the ways that I like to think about it and to talk about it and to actually practice it is is looking at those those six. So you know there are six core. Or, you know foundational principles and and figure out where can those be played with and where can we maybe reimagine some of the current ways that we do design, design research, uh, design practice, various methods under that broader umbrella and and really make meaningful adaptations to them with having some kind of sensitivity and awareness and understanding, that trauma exists, that it, it it exists in us, it exists in the people that we were often designing with or for, that it exists in our systems and in our policies. Um, and if, if we are approaching it with this foundational level, uh, you know, I sometimes call it a trauma literacy, um, if we're building this knowledge and this awareness of what these words mean, uh, how these principles can be applied to what it is that we're doing it's it is just going to change the way that we do design and it's going to change what we design um so i you know i i you know it's it's still very early on in in i think a lot of its discovery and in its application um trauma trauma work uh at least you know this more um current, present-day understanding of trauma and just the concepts of trauma, um, it, it's still a fairly like young uh, field and understanding in and of itself. So applying it to then design, I think, is something that is quite intriguing to a lot of different people because of uh, a number of different things. But living through and continuing to live through the pandemic around the world has really just uh, elevated the awareness of this.
2: This really reminds me of, um, and like initially when I saw your topic of trauma-informed design, I went to where I think most people tend to go to is hospitals. So you go mm. to, uh, PTSD or the more extremes of what we consider trauma. And it really kind of connected because, uh, in a lot of my previous work, we encountered things that might be called trauma, but we don't really label them as such. So, around why we avoid certain words because it triggers images or of previous past experiences in an organization of whether it's how we transform our products or different methodologies we use to work better together um, or um, just how we use particular products or services or various ways of organizing ourselves or working with different types of people, how we, we kind of avoid these things um, and in a way that can be considered, I guess, to some degree, trauma. Um, I know that on um, the ground floor of one of our previous workplaces, we had a office that was devoid of pretty much windows and light. Um, mm. And so at least for me, when I, when I think of trauma, I think of um, these sorts of things that cause triggering reactions and create things and and create difficult scenarios for people to work together effectively um, in the future. I don't know if you'd consider that trauma design but it kind of is what comes to mind when I start thinking a bit more deeply about it.
1: Yeah I mean I think those things definitely fall under that that really that broader umbrella of trauma-informed design and I think that's where I really like to think about it you know um, as having some some roots and some foundation in things like architecture. But then it, you know, these these principles have clearly been applied in health and human services, um, in various programs, policies, organizations, um, at least here in the US, I mean there there's even, you know, huge initiatives that are at, at a state level. You know, so there's a, a state called Oregon in the, you know, in the Pacific Northwest of the US that is um, there, they, there's a whole initiative called Trauma-Informed Oregon. Um, I think one of the things that uh, is that comes up comes up quite a bit in either conversations with either individual designers, um, small design teams, uh, people who are just generally curious and wanting to learn and understand more about you know what does it mean to maybe be a practicing trauma-informed or trauma-responsive designer. Um, and and it's it's I think it's easy for us to to immediately think of extreme circumstances or extreme scenarios or one-time events. Um, you know trauma can can be uh, something that is that is maybe significant to me but but not as nearly or maybe not as significant to you um, and I think you know ultimately it comes down to what what kind of support. What kind of witnessing? What kind of recovery were you able to have after either uh, an episodic traumatic event or a series of traumatic events? Um, sometimes when these are, are kind of stacked upon each other, uh, that can really create you know complex trauma, or you know sometimes it's called complex like post traumatic stress disorder. Um, you know, and and I really one of the things that I've been you know, looking at—I haven't talked about it as much publicly. I probably will try to talk a bit about this more during um, the—you know—this is doing festival because I—I I think it's important to to talk about those more serious events. Um, but I also think we need to talk about the the things that you know, the wide range of things that can be considered traumatic events that can have traumatic effects on either. Individuals, or collectives of people, or just the entire communities, or even like the countries, um, and I, there's this there's a thing that I see. You know, if if you know if we can't say that everyone around the world at this point has experienced at least one traumatic event, I I think we actually can say that safely because of the pandemic and because of the different kinds of experiences that people have had. Um, as a result of it, depending on, you know, a wide range of things. If you have children who are in school and maybe were impacted, if you, if you yourself or you have a loved one who works in healthcare and is maybe impacted by um, secondary trauma or vicarious trauma, maybe got sick yourself, maybe you lost someone, maybe you know someone who is still, um, you know, maybe, uh, you know, got the virus but is still having a what is sometimes called long COVID and just like dealing with those effects of it you know the pandemic is just one example that is so um, acutely on people's minds because we're all currently still very much immersed in it in very different ways but I think that there's also this this you know kind of parallel stream of things that are happening around just grief and loss um, sorrow and I think that those are maybe not necessarily trauma, but for some people that can really come very close to um to to experiencing some of those same effects. So um, a lot of the things that can result could be incredibly stressful, um, can be anxiety inducing, and might cause depression or other other things. Um so there, there's a there's a lot that could be very um doom and gloom and focused on you know, extremely negative um, events and occurrences that people have, one of the things that I really want to do and have, that I've been doing is just trying to w- raise this awareness that these things are happening, whether we acknowledge it or whether we know it or whether we understand it or not, it's happening. And if there's anything that I've seen from the conversations that I've had with designers from literally all over the world, a lot of them are experiencing this themselves, um, others may or may not know about it. They are bringing this into their work, and often designers have told me that they never knew how much of their own traumatic experiences that they have had throughout their life. It, they didn't realize how much that was influencing how they are they are designing. So I think it's it's there, there's a lot of different ways to tackle it. A lot of different ways to think about it. Um, One of the things that I really just want to keep um, impressing upon is that this is is that it's real. It's very pervasive. And there are things that we can do about it. Um, So either just individually, but also collectively. Um, And I also just I really believe in this, the power of. Of building this understanding and awareness as as designers, it, it will change for the good how we design. I mean, it, it just absolutely will.
2: It's amazing. It's um mental mental health and and trauma, as you mentioned, and a lot of those things have um really definitely come to light after the pandemic. Which is is it's sometimes difficult to say that there are positive impacts of such a such a wide global event. Um. Mm but at least for me and a, and a few others um from my own experiences they they it was always something swept under the rug and now it's something that we kind of collectively are starting to own and I think really that trauma and indes- trauma informed design can really um poss- possibly help address those the the issues that have come to um light so what what will people learn um at your session at the Doing Design Festival. What what will they kind of take away? What's what's kind of what, what's their experience going to be like?
1: Yeah, so I I think some of the main things that people will take away will be um a a foundational understanding of what trauma is, uh, what it can be, what it might look like. Um we will also go through trauma informed care principles and and really, I I try to ask these provocative questions on ways that I think that we can integrate those principles into practice. And so um, I, I really like to make those um, accessible to people and to encourage them to think about how those can be immediately applied. Um, we'll also talk about some of the different resources. I think that there has been amazing work and research out there um, you know, some of it, some of it academic, but also some of it very practice based, and and some other elements within design and design research as a whole around the world that is just um, helping to shine a light on that and bring it to this uh, center of awareness for for people.
2: It's great, and and so for trauma informed design, is that is that is this something that's relevant to everyone? I uh, evidently I kind of think it is, but maybe there might be a different perspective there. Is is there? areas in the industry or in in our experiences as designers where it's more applicable or where maybe it needs needs a bit more of a stronger focus? Or is this kind of quite a universal?
1: That's a good question because I used to, I think if you asked me that maybe a year ago, or a little over a year ago, I would say, oh, this is something that we just absolutely must be doing when we're working on social impact uh, design or service design or civic design. Um, Like that to me would have been an absolute no brainer. Like you know, like there's there is no reason not to be doing it. We we absolutely must be doing it. Like there's just a almost like a moral and ethical imperative to be doing it. And then I think as I as I really just evolved in my own understanding and you know deepen my own understanding and appreciation of trauma informed principles um in design and in talking to just different um just different people and you know, both in an in industry, but in academia, um, corporate entities, uh, and just, in some ways, just fielding some of the interest around, like, what is this? Um, I started to really believe that, uh, that this, this can be, for one, so I guess two ways to answer that question, Ben. One, yes, I do believe that it can be applied and integrated in, in any kind of design. I, I, I don't think um, I don't think it needs to be uh, thought of as something that is an add-on. I, I think that these are things that we can we can do um, either um, subtly or in a nuanced way or even overtly. Um, but I do think that there are certain contexts that especially warrant um, integrating these practices and that it's almost uh, it's it's detrimental to design and it's de- it's it's unethical in many ways to not be doing some of these practices especially when you're working with populations of people that have either been historically marginalized historically excluded um are extremely vulnerable um like there's I, we just we we absolutely we must be doing these things um but i but I do think that uh, in in Very small yet meaningful ways we can adapt how we're doing our work, and it isn't just for those individuals that we might be designing with or for. So we, you know, even if uh, you know, I understand that not all design processes um, really warrant that ability or that opportunity to do um, ethical participatory design or ethical and responsible co-design. I wish, I wish that were the case, but that sometimes that just is not going to happen. Um, But these practices can be included even when we are you know working on maybe like a sensitive topic or something that has to do with um, you know fashion and clothing or uh, a product that we might make what about a service that we are designing what about a policy that we're trying to re- either reimagine or, or a system that were that we that is you know so fraught with error that we're trying to either uh, you know, rebuild or build anew these are practices that I think can really uh, that can that can be included within teams who are working on these types of um, I'll, I'll use the phrase that, that Jerry says these types of like serious and complex issues, because you know, when he said that to me, I was like, oh, that is exactly what it is. That's exactly what we're talking about, and depending on, you know, whatever kind of work that you might be doing. Um, it's easy to make that case or that argument that, that yes, like my work is serious and it's complex. Um, It might have different ethical considerations. It might have different um, personal considerations uh, depending on what it is that you're doing. But I would, you know, I'm, I'm biased when I say that because I just, I just believe in the power of these um, of these practices. And so I would, uh, I, I, I have found that once, um, once, (laughs) <laughs> once designers start to learn a little bit about them, they they feel like they now have to act on that, on that it's really hard to unsee once you got a little bit of exposure. Um, and so what ways can you do that? I mean, I, I have to say, I think even for me myself, when I think about embodying and practicing and really just continuing on that journey of practicing these things, it has made me a better colleague. It's made me a better... Person, <laughs> it's made me a better parent. I mean, it, they like these these skill sets don't have to be just uh, baked into what we do for our professional paid work lives. They can really be applied and um, and utilized in, in other ways as well.
2: That's amazing. So we're going to hear from you definitely at the Doing Design Festival, and I for one am looking forward to that whole day and especially your session as well um after that or even before it how can people maybe learn a bit more about trauma design for the people who kind of want to look into it a little further is there some courses you'd recommend do you have a course um or is there what would you recommend people do
1: i don't have a course yet but i am working on one um with this is doing a community which is a which i'm very excited about um it it will most likely be after the festival um Let's see. What are some things that I would recommend? Um, I would say if there's if there's any one resource that I um, think about often that I would recommend, and I probably recommend in in every single time I've even talked about uh, this work, it is uh, it's it's a fairly recent within the past two years um, academic design research article by Tad Hirsch, and it's called uh, "Practicing Without a License: Design Research as Psychotherapy," and the whole thing is not about trauma informed design or trauma informed design research, but it talks about um, those those moments of rapport and those opportunities uh, those opportunities in the design research process when we have um, these decision points that we can make in, in either how we um, how we design or how we might talk to someone when we are engaging them in the design research process. Um, it's it's heavily focused on the interview part of design research um, and but also talks about consent procedures, like you know, yes, we absolutely should have them, and what do those look like when we're doing design research? Um, what are some other um, you know aspects within that whole process and the whole journey that um, that are that are things that we should be thinking about in terms of like us as designers and design teams, but also, when we are engaging other uh, people, you know, participants in the work that we're doing. So th- that is, um, it's, it's readily available. You can go to ResearchGate and look up Tad Hirsch, um, T-A-D-H-I-R-S-C-H, um, and that article, Practicing Without a License. And um, I, I just, I, I cannot recommend that anymore. I really feel like that should be essential reading for every single designer, design educator, design practitioner um, around the world. It, it really is, um, really just, it sets the stage for being able to really talk about this work in a, in a much deeper way.
2: Amazing. We'll add that practicing without a licensed design research as psychotherapy by Ted Hirsch into the show notes for people to see. Um, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing you at the upcoming design, design Festival on February 11th. It's going to be an amazing day. Thank you for being a speaker and for giving your time for this episode today.
1: Absolutely. Thank you, Ben.
0: So there you have it. If you like this episode, feel free to visit thisishcd.com, where you can access our back catalogue of over 100 episodes, with episodes related to service design, product management, design research, and much, much more. If you're interested in design and innovation training, feel free to check out our business, thisisdoing.com, where you can join online classrooms and learn from the world's best design and innovation leaders. Join the This Is CD newsletter, where you'll receive updates from the network, And also, if you're interested, apply to join the Slack community on ThisIsHCD.com. Stay safe, and until next time, take care.